Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. In Afghanistan, it's just, it's hard. I don't have words to even really wrap my mind or explain what's happening over there, but I know there's a lot of people suffering, and our brothers and sisters in Christ over there are being persecuted tremendously. Um, many of us watched the documentary Sheep's, Sheep Among Wolves, some of us in our life group last spring. If you have not seen that, I would highly recommend it. You can find it on YouTube, watch volume two. But there, that documentary is about a, a ministry, a movement. Iran is the fastest growing church in the Middle East, and Afghanistan is just behind it. It's the second fastest growing church in the Middle East. And that doesn't mean it's big. It just means it's small, and it keeps doubling and doubling and doubling. And so this, this ministry, we've kind of become familiar with them in the last year. They've got people on the ground. That documentary was about Iran, but that same ministry has people on the ground in Afghanistan. They're making disciples. And so this is, this is a legit ministry. If, if you want to give, if you're looking for something to do that will get to the hands and feet of the people on, Afghan, on the ground in Afghanistan trying to help, um, this would be a place to do that. You will, if you're on our mailing list, you'll also have a link in your email after church. So if, if you don't get this down now, that will be in your inbox. But yeah, I'm just gonna pray for them. First and foremost, we pray. We just saying, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. And so we're gonna stand in faith. We're gonna release our faith to the Afghan people and to our brothers and sisters over there on the ground. God, we, we trust you even in the midst of the storm. God, it's, it's really heavy to watch what's happening over there to your image bearers, to that country, and God, to your persecuted church. So God, in, in the midst of this, we trust you. We know that you're working. We thank you for setting up the structure of a church there, that there are people there on the ground making disciples, and God, some of them are choosing death to stand for you. And so God, we honor their boldness, we pray that you'd pour out more boldness as we're studying the book of Acts and we're seeing stories that unfolded in the first century church, the persecution. God, we see that your gospel expanded and grew exponentially when that happened. So God, we say, bring your glory. We say, bring your dreams and power encounters and visions to the, to the people over there that you're, there would be Saul to Paul moments God, that as, as people are persecuting, that you would meet them and you would reveal yourself as the one true God. And God, may your gospel go forth. We pray protection. Would you confuse evil over there? God, would you hide them in the shelter of your wings? And we, we just honor that church over there and we stand with them in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey Amen. Um, yeah, if you've been uh, a lot like a lot of us, I think you've been kind of praying all week. Um, one of the things that in just time and prayer for that situation this week, it's um, that first day, uh, God really kind of 
rocked me a little bit in that um, he's like, you are seeing this from a merely human point of view. And it was like I was just seeing the reality, you know, responding to the reality. And he's just like, um, my kingdom's not of this world, and my kingdom grows differently than how you imagine. And just being in there and, and just kind of like, okay, God, I trust you that what you're doing in there is going to uh, rescue people, it's going to transform people and see generations affected. Um, but sometimes it's really hard for us to kind of just see, I mean, so many of the Psalms that David wrote, it's like, God, here, here's the reality of the situation. Where in the heck are you? But a lot of times those, those Psalms resolve in that, but God, I know you're, you're always there. You never fail us. You never forsake us. And um, if you've been in any kind of uh, position where you have been persecuted legitimately, not just because you were a self-righteous Christian one day, uh, but legitimately um, God's presence, God's physical Holy Spirit presence, um, having heard so many testimonies, um, Fox's Book of Martyrs is a great book to pick up, but um, of just how close Jesus is with those people. And so we just... Thank him for being such a good God. Um, so yeah, amen. Well, uh, hard to transition into uh, just kind of what we've been do, going through uh, with all that, but um, I think the Lord has some things for us this morning. So we've been going through this book uh, called Acts, Acts of the Apostles. We find it right after the Gospels. And they are about 20 years worth of stories put into a book by Luke. And um, it, gave, it gives us an example of what the first century church looked like, of the disciples that, uh, the apostles and the disciples that came from them, um, how that first church lived. And, um, and it gives us a model as to like, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And uh, hopefully that we are looking at the examples of Peter, of James, of Paul, of Barnabas, uh, and we're beginning to, hopefully, the Lord's, like, illuminating, like, I have the same thing for you. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that is, was in those disciples and flowing through those disciples is the same Holy Spirit that, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have within you. But like Matt said, in worship, sometimes it takes, it, it takes some growth in order for us to walk in the power of truth and the spirit, the way God designed us to live in. So, um, so we're going to pick up, we're going to start in Acts 15. So if you have a Bible or a uh, phone, you can turn to Acts 15. Um, just as a little setup, Paul and Barnabas had been on a missionary journey sent out by this church in Antioch in Syria. They got sent out and they went around in kind of their first little journey and it took them about a year. They visited uh, Barnabas' hometown. They went through kind of some of the known areas that had some Jewish synagogues. That was the first place they'd go to because that was kind of the low-hanging fruit. And then out of there, um, Peter, uh, you know, oh, sorry, Josh, I was, hold on. Um, but... We've seen a few examples up to this point of outside the church getting persecuted. The, the, the nation of Rome in, in all different ways and shapes was beginning to persecute the Christians. 
they had a, a phrase that Caesar is Lord. Well, the disciples chose to uh, replace that political statement with Jesus is Lord. And it was very combative. But as Paul and Barnabas went out on their first journey, there began to be a division within the church. There was persecution outside the church before then, but now this growing division from Paul and Barnabas' ministry into the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, uh, they were accepting Christ. And these Jewish believers, there was a sect of Jewish believers that did not like what was happening. Uh, a lot of their law and traditions and their sense of how to follow God was being rocked by the message of the gospel. And so we have this kind of internal division. And in Acts 15, they kind of hit it, hit it straight on. So we're going to pick up there. So Acts 15, verse 1, it says, But some men came from, down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was their claim. You've got to follow Moses and be, for the fellas, you've got to be circumcised or you're not saved. Verse 2, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. All right, so hey, they're, they're, they're talking it through, right? Uh, no small amount of debate. So they, they were kind of, they were going back and forth. They were hearing each side. Um, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So they debated, they discussed, and came to like an impasse. They couldn't come up with what's the solid right answer as to uh, how much of the law are we going to ask these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, how much are we going to ask them to follow? Because, hey, these Jewish believers are thinking, man, Jesus was Jewish, right? I mean, God appointed, God chose the nation of Israel through which the Messiah was going to come. He gave the law to Mo. I mean, he kind of set the course. Why, Paul, are you saying that the law is null and void? Why are you not following our God-given customs? I mean, if you were to think, this was a really big controversy. And so First Peter, they go down to Jerusalem and uh, they hear the men saying that you've got to be circumcised. Um, it says, so verse 3, gosh. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversations of the Gentiles, the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So Paul and Barnabas began this kind of like preaching the gospel to Gentiles, this this conflict began to emerge among them. And Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, and one of the disciples that preached to a Gentile, and he became right before God. He and his whole household. And that was kind of the first Gentile that came to know Jesus in a powerful way. And Peter was the one that kind of led that. 
And so he, kind of having a little grace in this area, stood up and said, uh, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. But after there had been much debate, again, more conversation, more dialogue, more talking it out. Hmm, that seems healthy. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving to them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. There was no distinction now. Right with him, there was no more distinction. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And it says, all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So here Paul, or Peter, stands up and these, these Judaizers, he was trying to get at the fact that they were trying to mix law and grace, this grace that Jesus came to give. They were trying to pour new wine in an old wineskin, an old ancient wineskin. They were stitching back up the torn veil. That God's presence, uh, it said that when Jesus was crucified, this, the veil in the temple, this veil that was, um, I think it was 20 feet tall, and it was four inches thick, and it weighed three tons. It weighed 6,000 pounds, this tapestry that they had put up to divide the holy place and the holy of holies in the temple. And it said that when Jesus was crucified, that veil tore from the top to the bottom. And it, was, it signified the releasing of God's presence from the holy of holies into the whole earth. That now his presence was available to all, not just the high priest once a year. And so uh, they were blocking the new and living way to God that Jesus had opened when he died on the cross. They were rebuilding the wall between Jews and Gentiles that Jesus tore down when he was crucified. They were putting a heavy Jewish yoke on Gentile shoulders. They were saying a Gentile must first become a Jew before he can become a Christian. It's not sufficient for them to supply, to simply to trust Jesus Christ. They must obey Moses. And so they were adding to the gospel and denying the finished work of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote his epistle to the Galatians to make it clear that salvation is holy by God's grace. It's not Jesus plus something. It's not Jesus plus your perfect obedience saves you. It's not Jesus plus you being a part of a certain tribe. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. For the law cannot purify our hearts. The law cannot impart the gift of the Holy Spirit. The law cannot give eternal life. What the law could not do, God did through his own son. Those who have trusted Christ have the righteousness of God's law in their hearts and through the spirit obey his will. They are not motivated by fear. Followers of Jesus are not motivated by fear, but by love. For love is the fulfilling of the law. When you really kind of 
the wildness of Jesus's commands of love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as you love yourself. It's powerful when you really think, I would do nothing to my wife that if I don't love her. So love guides me. I don't need a rule book from my wife of do's and don'ts. I am guided by my love for her. And it almost, it, it wins. So it's a winner every time, almost. <laughs> unless I got a funk on me, unless I got a little sauce behind, which happens from time to time. But when we let love guide us, it wins. Then after Peter spoke James, now if you wanted kind of a, if you wanted one of the best defenses of the gospel, in my opinion, is Jesus's biological brother. Well, half-brother, technically. But Jesus's brother. Could you imagine your own sibling? How many of you have siblings in this room? Huh? Okay. Imagine your oldest sibling, right? Flows like kind of doing stuff like Jesus, kind of like all this. But would you ever... And other people begin like worshiping him. Like, whoa, your older brother, your older sister, man, they're amazing. And let's say they begin like really following your older sibling. And then your older sibling gets crucified. And would you put your entire life and reputation and future on the line if he was not indeed the Messiah? I mean, his own flesh and blood brother becoming a disciple of Jesus who gave his life for the gospel. Anyway, he stands up. He becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he says this, after they finished speaking, James replied, so here comes Jesus' brother. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has now related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. Gentiles, to take from them a people for his name. This, was, this would have been shocking to hear. The Judaizers, the Pharisees, James was kind of, they thought James was a little on his side, on their side. And when he kind of mentions this phrase, God first visited the Gentiles to take for them a people for his name. That's the exact same phrase that God used. I'm going to choose Israel as a people after my name. And here he's saying, no, it's also for the Gentiles. And in verse 15, it says, and with this, the words of the prophet agree. Not necessarily like a fulfilling of prophecy, but just the, the words of this prophet agree to this testimony. Just as it's written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. He's quoting Amos uh, that was written about 500 years before Christ. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and the, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Wow, there it is again. Who makes these things known from old? He goes on. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God with the law. But we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality. Okay, so let's... And then from consuming blood... All right, and then eating the meat of strangled animals. All right, now this is kind of like a weird, weird retort, right? It's not just a, hey, they don't need to follow the law. End game. It was because of the volatility of the law crowd 
and the grace crowd, we need to also add some accommodations so that each side is deferring and loving one another. So, of course, abstaining from idols, idolatry, and from immorality. Those were two just straight up, just obvious commands from God that they're just like, hey, let's just make sure that we articulate that. (laughs) Let's stray away from idols and immorality. But then it has these kind of two ceremonial things uh, added to it that actually was for the Gentiles to say, hey, you need to also express some love to the Jewish people as well. Do you not under, like, can, you, can you feel how they're feeling? <laughs> can you feel how unanchored and untethered they feel because of all this stuff changing? Hey, let's, let's serve them. So a uh, lot of potlucks happening together in these uh, new communities uh, called love feasts. It was kind of a Gentile term, but uh, they, they kind of made it into... Anyway, um, they would have these kind of potlucks. And imagine, you know, two different types of people with two different dietary laws kind of coming together. And, and these people just wanted to, to show signs that, hey, I am going to defer out of my love because this isn't a, like a doctrinal thing. This is kind of more of a, a preference thing. Um, and so it's like, well, eating of the blood, that was common in religious rituals in Rome, in certain sects. Um, but then, it, and then it's like, well, this special like killing by strangulation, what's that? Well, some of the blood, if an animal is killed by strangulation, some of the blood remains in the body and it makes the meat unfit for the Jewish person to eat. And hence the admonition against strangulation. Kosher meat is meat that comes from clean animals that have been killed properly, so all the blood has been entirely drained from the body. There's really sticklers about this one, right? And it's like hard for us. It's like, man, I, wait, is the burger meat I eat? Wait, what is that? Like, ah, there's no blood. Anyway, so, um, but what did this decision accomplish? Let's kind of land it a little bit in a practical way. First, This kind of decision of Paul and Barnabas, there's some chaos. Hey, let's rally with some wise people that are going to be guided by the scriptures. Let's deal with it. Let's listen to the other side. And let's invite wise counsel in. Deal with it. Listen to the other side. Invite wise counsel into it. Really good help. First, it strengthened the church the unity of the church, and it kept it from splitting into, like I said, those two extremes, law and grace groups. Second, it made it possible for the church to present a united message of the gospel, both for Jews and Gentile believers, so that they were all united under truth, which is really important. Sometimes people want unity at the expense of truth. As a follower of Jesus, we want unity under truth, that we're united in truth. Um, and then lastly, they battled the schemes of the enemy to sow discord in this new and emerging kingdom outposts all over the known world. They didn't allow him, the enemy, to destroy their unity in Christ together by giving into factions and divisions. Three major things that this council in Jerusalem accomplished. And it seems that throughout history, the enemy has stirred up leaders and even countries 
to steal, kill, subject, manipulate, destroy people through factioning them, through dividing them up so that they can be conquered and power can be won and consolidated. And it is our God-given duty, not just to advance the gospel in our generation, but also as his people in this generation to resist the discord the enemy is wanting to sow in this generation. Does that make sense? Every generation, not only is there a charge of us to advance the gospel, but there's also a charge of us to resist the schemes of the enemy that would come to destroy the unity of that gospel. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, a two-sided warfare a little bit. From the book of Acts on, the church and each successive generation were battered both externally and internally over discord and division, mainly that comes on unholy lines, unrighteous lines, unbiblical lines. So if you, if you got to go through church history, man, people, groups, followers of Jesus have been divided over some really significant things, and they've been divided over some completely meaningless things, okay? Um, obviously, there's, there's some big examples, um, but, you know, some of the sillier ones, uh, there was one denomination that split, the entire church split, because a group, one of the groups in the church decided we would like a kitchen in the church. There was another group that said, that is against the Lord's will, that there would ever be a kitchen in a church because that's not what a church is for. It's for house of prayer. And so, boom, split. Stupidest stuff. <laughs> Stupidest stuff. Arbitrary things. But even today, would I, would I, if you, just as our culture's been swirling, even today, questions about complex thoughts Issues, topics have been reduced to mere allegiance questions. Notice the dialogue when I ask these questions. <laughs> I want you to pay attention to the dialogue that goes on in between your ears. Because there's going to be more things that you think about than what I say. And this is interesting. So when you get a question, very complex issues, and you get asked a very Reduced question. Are you for nation building? Yes or no? You know, you're just kind of like, well, wait, that's kind of a big subject there. Are you against immigration? Yes or no? I mean, it's like a yes or a no. Where are you? If you're a yes, this is what you're like. If you're a no, this is what you're like. Because our society trains us to, is training us to reduce things to its most simplest, like meaningless form, and then make judgments upon those things. And judge people, more importantly, judging people by the group that you identify in. Are you for Biden? Are you for Trump? Are you against abortion? Are you against science? Like, these are like really big questions, right? It's impossible to answer them yes or no. But our society is pushing us to give one word answers 
so that we can just put people in groups and not treat them like humans. These overtly reduced, simplistic questions allows us to put people in our group narratives that we all have kind of a different definition of what those kind of group narratives would be. Oh, if you're for that, well, th then you must be for. We are being trained, like I said, by our culture and many of those spokespeople to reduce people to categories and allow us to treat people less than human. It strips away our humanity. Anytime a society pushes their society, it's happened time and time and time and time and time and time again. Anytime leaders of the elite tried to push the people against one another, tremendous, and people give into that spirit of group thinking, of not seeing people according to that they're made in God's image, but we reduce people down to you're in that group, you're in this group, you're in that faction. Sometimes, so, so an example would be, um, what, what time have I got? I feel like I'm rambling a little. Okay. Arbitrary lines, historically. You know about the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda. You know what began that division? In the early 1900s, Belgium was, uh, but through the English a little bit, they took people and just arbitrarily just started measuring heads, people's heads, and just said, hey, those with the larger head are on this tribe, and those with kind of the smaller head, they're in this tribe. And, that's, and then you just kind of fuel that for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and they begin seeing people that are just like them. Many that would worship in the same church would turn and murder each other because of the group dynamics that the society that they lived in was pushing on them, and they yielded to that. So as followers of Jesus, we have to see and, and this is the one thing, I will say this. I am so, so proud of how this spiritual family has navigated all that's been thrown at it over this past season. It's, a, it's a, been a joy, really. Instead of leaning into all the group language and paradigm that, and, and that culture and media has thrown at you, you have kept from giving into that spirit. And I want to just applaud every one of you. Um, do you kind of, if I was to ask that, do you, do you know what that spirit feels like? Or, or when I say spirit, it, it, it kind of, it, to get me to kind of buy into narratives wholesale will reduce how I actually see people in reality. And so we've got to be careful as followers of Jesus that we stay above. We act like Paul and Barnabas. Man, if there's a if there's a conflict, if there's got something, hey, time out. We're going to talk. We're going to open up our mouth. I'm not going to, if I feel the culture pushing me towards isolation and shut up, man, where am I going to lean in as a follower of Jesus? Man, I'm leaning into community and talking a lot, right? Man, when there's, when there's pressure to isolate, I'm going to intentionally be around more people. When I'm wrestling with an issue, I'm not going to just kind of just keep it to myself and, you know, just... Because the way these algorithms work, well, you can silo yourself so quick and just be so far from reality. But I'm going to roll like Paul and Barnabas here. When, there's a, when I'm wrestling through issue, man, I want to go right at it. 
I want to listen to the other side, and I want to invite some wise counsel that are going to be guided by the Scriptures in order to navigate these issues of life. And so I, I hope that Acts 15 kind of acts as a little model for us and how to navigate a lot of things that are coming at us and will come at us. I mean, you think it's going to slow down. It is not going to slow down. It's going to speed up intentionally. But hopefully you're seeing that. All right. Let's pray. <laughs> God, I just thank you so much for the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. And I thank you for the power of your word and your Holy Spirit in this community right here. God, I'm so thankful, God, that you have been with us this time and led us and guiding us. Lord, I just pray for your discernment over all of us in Jesus' name. God, discernment to see through the eyes of the scriptures. God, to see through the eyes of the living Son of God. Father, help us be your people in this hour. God, standing on the rock of your truth and not being swayed by all the pressures on the outside or even some of the pressures on the inside. Lord, I just thank you, God, for this beautiful, beautiful community, united under truth. Lord, I just thank you. Lord, let the spirit that you've uh, fostered in this place, let it explode on our city. God, I just thank you for the love and the patience and the kindness and the, and the stirring and the helping me not live in fear, but also, God, help me be a little bit more self-conscious of other people. Lord, all of that's been happening to us. But Lord, I just pray that we would be your people in this hour. And God, we would not lose focus. Lord, not lose sight as to what you've called us to. You've called us to advance the gospel and resist the schemes of the enemy. So Lord, all of us here, Lord, if we're in agreement with that, we just say, God, have your way in our life, in our, in our lives together as a community for you, God, to just have your way. And Lord, let's let people see the transformation that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. We'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.